Today's Bible reading comes from Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. I will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. Instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. Um, if uh, you haven't, oops, if you haven't met me, my name is David Coy, and uh, Jeff Reed has asked me to to uh, offer some help to you through the difficult journey that you've been through recently. Uh, my wife is Noreen. She's sitting quietly down there, and uh, I hope you get to meet her. Uh, my hope is that in the weeks ahead, I'll get to meet up with you each uh, as far as possible. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear about you and your story. Um, the sort of short and easy way to get you my phone number and my email address is on my business card. And as you go out today, please grab one. There'll be a pile out there. Grab one and take one and give me a ring sometime and we'll organise uh, for us to meet up. I'm planning for the next couple of weeks at least to be here on Mondays and we can meet up here or at a cafe or somewhere else. There might be other slots as well that uh, on Sundays or other days that we might be able to work. But So please do um, connect with me. I'd love to talk to you and meet you. And uh, 
I believe the Zoomers are on the camera here. Welcome to you. Sorry, I just need to get my machine working. I wonder if you've ever been caught up in a spontaneous celebration. Uh, there are lots of celebrations in our lives, aren't there? There are birthdays, there are anniversaries, there's Australia Day, there's Christmas, there's the Queen's birthday and so on. We know that they're coming generally and we genuinely celebrate these in our own particular way in various degrees. But there are some celebrations that grip our heart and just make us dance and sing spontaneously for joy. On the morning of Wednesday the 15th of August 1945, it was announced that World War II had ended. Look at what happened in the centre of Sydney. The years of blood and tears had ended in resounding victory. Australia joined her allies in an outburst of rejoicing, the like of which her cities had never seen before. The pent-up emotion of six years poured out as a flood. Freedom was really theirs. This day of victory meant loved ones would now be safe. Families once again reunited to enjoy the things for which their men and women had fought. So let's go mad for one unforgettable day. Everybody's yelling and cheering and, hey, old chap, it's over. Tear up some paper, it's the thing to do. Telephone books, old posters, income tax forms, torn up and tossed around. Well, have you ever seen anything like that in the streets of Sydney? It's amazing, isn't it? No one organised that. It was just the pure, unbridled joy of people coming together to celebrate the end of the war. They came out spontaneously. Now, as we come to Isaiah 55, and I do encourage you to have that open. Uh, if you've got a paper Bible, that's great. If you've got a device, that's great. But please do keep the, the passage open with me as we work through it. Because as we come to Isaiah 55, believe it or not, that is the atmosphere. In Isaiah's 1 to 39, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, it is preparing Judah to go into exile because of her sin. It's pretty grim reading, mostly. But in chapter 40, that changes. It turns to address the people who are now in exile because of their sin, and it speaks a word of encouragement. The Jews are in Babylon, and they're far from their land, the land God had given them, far from Jerusalem and the temple. But an amazing change in their fortunes is coming. God will shake the nations and they are going to release the, his people from their exile. 
More, a servant will come who's going to rule forever and ever. And strangely, in Isaiah 53, which the Jews call the forbidden chapter, in Isaiah 53, this humble servant is going to die as a sin offering for all the people. The Lord will lay on him the iniquity of us all. He will take away all their sin. I wonder if you remember uh, that wonderful day when you personally realised that all your sins were taken away. I wonder if there was a moment when that dawned upon you. Do you remember the joy that you felt? You might not have danced in the street, but maybe you did feel that joy. And so when we go to Isaiah 54, the very next chapter, in verse 1, God says to the Jews, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song. Shout for joy, you who were never in labour, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. You see what a change of atmosphere there is. This is the mood we are in when, as we arrive at Isaiah chapter 55. And the message of our chapter is an exuberance, come, come then. Now these Jews are desolate in exile. They're thirsty, they're hungry in exile. They're far from the land, from Jerusalem, from the temple, as I said. It's probably not so much that they're physically hungry and thirsty, but there is a hunger in them and there is a thirst. They're thirsty for the blessings that they had enjoyed at the hand of God in the land of his promise. Isaiah cries out, come, what you ache for, that blessing is available to you in rich plenty. All you've longed for is available. If someone offers you a banquet, you might well ask, how much is it going to cost? The answer is that for this feast, you won't need money. It's free, completely. Come, eat, drink, says God. And don't waste money on anything else. God will amply supply the absolute best. So come. So look with me at verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? and your labour on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. But how do they come? How do they come? Do they redouble their religion? Do they go more often to a synagogue? Do they offer more sacrifices? Do they help the poor more? How do they get to enjoy this banquet? The answer, surprisingly, is by listening. Listen to the scriptures. Listen to the prophets.
I wonder if you've ever had the experience where somebody has heard what you've said but not listened to you. You ever had that experience? Feel free to nod. <coughs> it's a sadly common experience. Well, that is what people do with God. That's what they did to God. And sadly, that is too often what we do to God. You see, they, the Jews were religious. They heard his words often, but they didn't listen to him. And the result was exile. But if they will listen to God now, they will find the goodness, the goodness of, what is it? The faith, God's faithful love to King David. That's a puzzle. You see, God has promised David that one of his descendants would reign forever and bring all the fullness of God's blessing to Israel. And more, the nations of the world, the Gentiles, will rush to him as well. That's us, folks. The Messiah, this one to come from David's line, will be their glory. Look with me at verse 3. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you, do, you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because, the, because of the Lord your God the Holy One of Israel, for God has endowed you with splendor. But what will that coming mean? What will listening to God properly teach them? Well, they will see that what is needed is a real repentance and a full turning to the Lord. Without that, they will not enjoy what they are longing for. They cannot go on as they did before. They were religious people, for sure, but it was just wallpaper. It was nice appearances week by week, but it covered over their disobedience and their idolatry. They deserved their exile fully. But now there is a new opportunity. The drink that will quench their bitter thirst and the food that will satisfy their aching souls is available again and in a better way. But they must carefully turn from their ungodly thoughts and their ungodly deeds. Repentance. You see, this is not just about being sorry about the past. This is a commitment to real change. And God is ready. In fact, he's eager to shower his mercy on them. If they will come like this, they will be forgiven everything. Look with me at verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. 
Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to God, to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Now, why is this needed? It is because God's ways are not our ways. I grew up in country New South Wales, and uh, I vividly remember particularly one place we live, a little place called Darlington Point, where my father worked for a time. And I love to go outside, away from the lights, at night on a clear winter's night, and look up. Have you ever done that? It's a wonderful thing. If you've ever managed to get away from the city, you don't see very much at all in the city, but if you get away from the city and look up, you will see it. You will see a splendour in the heavens that is breathtaking. And when I looked up, I had the sense of how puny and small I was. The heavens display just a little of the high glory of God. And what am I? I am so small. You know, it's very easy to assume that God is like me. That he thinks about things the way I do down here that he approves of us and he likes our ideas, that he thinks that my life, while it's not perfect, of course, is actually okay. But it's not true. God's majestic ways are very different to my human ways. Let me give you an example of what I mean. For a few years now, I've been helping people with conflict. And I know from my personal experience how easy it is for me to assume that I know the best way to deal with a conflict. But if I listen to God, who is much higher, in Romans chapter 3, verse 17, he tells me the truth. He says in Romans 3, verse 17, summing up the impact of sin on humanity, that the way of peace they do not know. That's what the words are. The way of peace they do not know. In other words, God's ways of peace and not at all what I might naturally think they are. I actually need to be taught God's ways of peace by him. In fact, no matter what part of life I'm thinking about, whether it's conflict or whether it's work or whether it's family or whatever it may be, the right thing for anyone who seeks God is to assume that we really don't know what God's way is naturally. 
In fact, we must not even assume we know. His ways will be different and far, far better and different to my natural human instincts. His ways are higher than my ways. And so I must be taught to learn his ways. And that's what Jesus and the New Testament writers keep saying to us all the way through the New Testament. It's in the Old Testament as well. In fact, that's why God has kindly given us his word in the Bible. And so we must give up our pride. I must give up my pride. We must stop presuming we know and humbly sit and quietly sit before the word of God and study it, asking for his help by his spirit to open our minds to God's word. And our sinful self will fight it all the way. You see, God is not at all like us. It's only when a person truly humbles themselves and listens to God and his word, when they look up, as it were, to his higher ways, that they'll begin to please him. Look with me at verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And God's ways are higher than our ways in another way. You know, our words are frail and weak. We promise and we don't or can't deliver. We command and it often is not done. But God's word accomplishes everything he wants it to accomplish. Look with me at verse 10. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it, without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And God's sure plan is nothing less than a wonderful new creation. His plan is that this groaning creation, which we experience, sometimes a little, sometimes in great pain, all of that is going to be replaced by new heavens and a new earth. There's going to be a budding and a flourishing. We will be made new. And it will be the new world of peace. 
You know, the Hebrew word for peace, many of you probably know, is the word shalom, shalom. And it is said to be the most important word in Jewish life. It's a word that means wholeness in body, in mind, in every relationship and circumstance, wholeness. And the new world of peace, of shalom, will be to his glory. Look at verse 12. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. And instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. <coughs> One of the things you'll learn about me is that I have a lung condition and uh, I cough occasionally, I'm sorry. Well, what does all this mean for Epping Presbyterian Church? I'm going to speak uh, fairly directly to you. I understand only the tip of the iceberg, only poorly and superficially so far but even that tells me you've been through a difficult, difficult time. There will no doubt be many stories of pain, perhaps bewilderment, maybe anger, discouragement, hurt. Isaiah 55 is for you. It is written to speak joy to your heart, to even stir you up to a kind of holy celebration. Firstly, recognize that there are many souls here who are hungry and thirsty for the blessing of God. I don't know all your stories yet, but the little I know tells me that relationships in your fellowship have been damaged. Some have even left. Trust is not what it should be. Friendships have been impacted. I'm guessing even from the little I have heard that you do in fact long for the kind of peace that God offers in Isaiah 55, the shalom of God, wholeness of body, of mind, of relationships in your fellowship. But joy is probably the last thing on your mind at the moment. Please see that God offers the only fruit and drink that will satisfy your need. 
that will give peace. Don't rush to idols or yet more sin to solve the pain. The promises to the Jews that Isaiah speaks of here find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ, of course, and I'm sure you realize that. He is that one who died for sin. He endured shocking pain for us, for all sin, for whatever sin may be here, I don't know. And he rose for our justification before God. In him, there is mercy and hope. In him only. I do urge you in your distress, go to Christ. Meet him in a new way. Don't go anywhere else. Go to Christ. This is a time of deep prep for deep prayer, lament, of calling upon God for his help, and to time for looking to Christ, who is the Redeemer, who by his grace, if we will walk his way, will redeem and heal here. But secondly, see that the way to mercy and blessing in your church is by God's word and repentance. The devil rejoices, rejoices to tempt you with now with discord, with anger, with recrimination, with bitterness, with fighting, even with withdrawal. He wants, the devil, wants to have you. He wants to destroy you. But he is nothing before God. And God calls us to something much higher. wonders of technology, it all disappears on you in a moment. That higher thing that God calls us to, we've seen in Isaiah 55, is repentance. It will involve turning aside from our normal human solutions and pursuing his way here. Do you remember what Jesus taught us in Luke 13? Something like it is in Matthew as well. He says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able. Forsaking the sin in ourselves first, each one of us, 
is an essential part of this narrow path to reconciliation and peace. I'm hoping to speak more about that in the coming weeks, God willing. Each one working on reconciling with others, repairing relationships the the way God teaches us will require concentrated effort. It's not going to be easy. It will take hard work, maybe sometimes difficult work. And so we really need much prayer and strength and help from God. It is a mighty spiritual battle. But finally, know that the Lord has good purposes for you in it. He only has good purposes for you. Seems strange to say that. But have you realised in the Bible that God grows us individually and together through trials? A wonderful place to see that is in 1 Peter, if you want to look. God loves us. He disciplines the sons he loves. And this is how he builds us up. You, I'm sure, know these words from Romans chapter 8. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. That's a verse for EPC. God works for the good of EPC through these circumstances. Now is the time to hold on to these words, to hold on to them dearly. While the evil one's work is evident, God has not lost control. His good purpose, we know, is to strengthen us through these trials. He wants each one to be more and more like our Lord Jesus, to deepen your maturity, your own holiness, your own sense of grace, and the riches, richness and depth of your fellowship together. And as usual, he's doing it through a trial. Now, I realise that your head is probably still spinning from everything that has happened here. But I urge you to look trustfully to God with prayer, asking that his good purposes for each person in EPC and the whole church will be realised. Isaiah 54, 5 has taught us that God's word is powerful and effective and it does not return to him empty. There is, you see, a God-shaped opportunity offered to you here as individuals and as a church. An opportunity to grow yourself, 
to serve the people around you. And most of all, in this darkness, to shine out the brilliance of God's glory, especially in the redeeming work of Jesus. Don't look back bitterly, but look forward and pursue that opportunity now with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength. For God has promised that if we will pursue it, we will find his blessing and we will find that joy that makes our hearts sing. You know, much earlier when Israel were on the edge of the promised land, Moses called Joshua, who was to be the new leader, he called him to him and he said this in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 8. He said, the Lord himself will go before you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. As you seek to move forward now to heal what is broken, please take hold of these words. Make them God's promises to you and the theme of all your conversations together. Let me pray. We thank you, Father, that you speak hope in in darkness and difficulty. We thank you for the rich blessings you have in store for your people. But we know the tempter always wants to drag us into the world and into sin. Help us, Father, to set our minds on things above, the higher things, and to pursue them. And Heavenly Father, we pray that you will give us courage. Help us not to be afraid. And we thank you that you will not leave us and not forsake us. Amen.